Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of the Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. Hey, what's going on? It's another day in the queue, baby. Queue time's due time. That's what we're saying yeah. around the DeCourcy household. So, <laughs> how are you doing, buddy? Doing all right. Still waiting for my stimulus check. Are you going to donate it to charity upon receipt? I'm going to go spend it at a local business as fast as possible. Well, in the event that you decided to go charitable. I think we, I think today's guest might be able to help you with some of that. With us today, we have Brett Hegler, the CEO of New Story. If now, for those of you listening, you know I like it when you're interactive. So I want you to go to newstorycharity.org so you can have some idea what we're talking about while you're on the internet. Go over and check out fullscale.io, the sponsor of today's episode of Startup Hustle helping you build software development teams quickly and affordably. Now back to our guest, Brett. Welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Well, why don't we go ahead and get started with you giving us the superhero backstory of New Story and yourself. Oh, gosh. Not superhero. Um, yeah, so I, uh, these days, am uh, lucky to um, run an organization called New Story, and our mission is to pioneer solutions to end global homelessness. And so we, um, we try to think up new and innovative and modern ways to tackle a, um, a really monumental um, challenge and problem. Uh, we believe it's one of the biggest problems in, in the world today that uh, about a billion people don't have um, licensed basic human needs of safety and shelter. And we're trying to, to figure out um, Kind of exponential uh, ways to to change that, and we're about five years old. Uh, I started it when I was a young a young guy at twenty five. Um, I've I've matured now. I'm in my thirties, and uh, and it was just after a trip that I I took to Haiti, and I saw um, kids living without uh, safe houses um, due to the earthquake that happened there, and then I came back and. Uh, it, and I actually tried to find other nonprofits that I can get involved with. Um, but the more I looked, the more I saw just kind of the uh, pretty much the status quo and people are doing things how they've always seemingly been doing it for the last, you know, few decades. And so um, I thought it would uh, make sense to actually start something new. And that's why it's called New Story. Um, that would just be founded on, on different operating principles. Um, maybe some, some words you don't necessarily associate with charity which would be um innovation research and development um software engineering team uh taking risk um so that's what we did and uh we fortunately now have been off to a pretty good start and um you know looking forward to to scale things up um as we go forward so the the task of ending something like homelessness is pretty daunting um you know, we always like to say, if you're going to eat an elephant, you got to do it one bite at a time. Mm -hmm. Usually, usually start with the tail. So, I mean, how do you go about something that global and that big? I mean, what's the, what's the approach? 
Yeah, I mean, so so obviously, like, you know, you, you can only do so much with a massive problem, um, and you got to start small, um, and that's what we've done. Uh, but what we've done from a strategy standpoint is uh, we've really um, changed our how we measure our impact. Um, so in the early days, it was a lot more direct and linear, um, which would essentially mean we raise money and then we we build homes and communities with that money. Um, but when you're working on such a big problem, uh, that's only going to get you so far, right? And it's going to matter for the families that you work with for sure. But what we've done is we've now said, um, we're going to create new innovations. Uh, we're going to prove them in the communities that we build. And then we're going to democratize them and essentially export those to uh, governments and other housing nonprofits so that we can make them more effective and them more efficient. So we're, we're, we're kind of like the R&D and innovation arm to the global social housing sector. And that means um, software that we build, we will democratize to them. Uh, we've uh, created a 3D printing machine, their partner Icon out of Texas, and uh, creating the world's first 3D printed community. Um, that wow. started a couple, couple months ago um, with the idea that we could uh, get on the ground floor of that, um, prove something that's really hard, prove it in the context of where we work, which makes it even harder. And then uh, ultimately not keep that for ourselves because that's way too small of an idea and you're never gonna, you're never gonna get to scale that way. Um, but, but open it up and basically have distribute distribution network of other, other, other governments and nonprofits. So that's what we're trying to make a bigger impact, Matt. Um, now, are we going to get to a billion people ourselves? You know, it's, that's, that's a pretty, I think it's a little far fetched. Um, but we do think we can make a sizable dent in that number, uh, over the next decade. And, um, you know, it's at some point with, with a lot of these, you know, global challenges, um, you know, you have to be able to, don't be afraid of work that has no end, right? That's, that's something we believe in. And um, you, you may not see a hundred percent completion to, to something, but it doesn't mean it's, it's not worth doing. Now, are you so, guys focused on a certain part of, of the U S or the world that you're doing this, or is it global yeah. or? Yeah. So we started, uh, primarily in Mexico and Haiti and El Salvador. And um, that's where we've worked the last five years. And so we, uh, we actually just began a U.S. project um, in response to, to COVID-19. Well, before that, and I'll, I'll talk more about that, but, uh, but before that, we had not yet worked in the U.S. So I think it's interesting you said that you said this all started because you took a trip to Haiti, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. So I've been to the Philippines 11 times and oh, wow. going there had the same effect on me, you know, seeing how mm. they live and, and like my wife's own family, how they live. I mean, they, mm. <laughs> their, their house is very interesting. It's very different. It's mm. nothing like a house in the United States mm. and, but that's the way they live and that's normal to them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it definitely has a huge impact on you. And, mm. you know, I always say it's one of the best things that people can ever do is travel and, and totally. see the the first time I ever saw that was in Mexico was seeing how okay. some people live down there. And it was, where'd you go? In Mexico? Um, I went down to Cancun and then went further yeah. South to play at El Carmen. Okay. So I, I mean, I was sort of touristy areas, but play at El Carmen's a little more off the beaten path than Cancun. So, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I didn't, I didn't really go uh, to developing 
world um, until after college. And I, I wish I went earlier. And so for people listening, especially if you have kids, I mean, I think, you know, from the age between like, I don't know, even as early as like eight or nine, up until when people are in college, having them exposed to, to the reality of the majority of the world is, uh, is pretty, pretty damn important in my opinion. I think so too. Cause I mean, we all live in our little bubbles and, 100%. and I think that's where our kids can, you know, be influenced a lot and, and open their eyes. So I'm, I'm actually really hoping yeah. to take my, my oldest son who will be yeah 12 next summer taking him to the philippines next summer is my goal yeah dude that's amazing um yeah i mean we live in our bubbles and and i was i'm speaking to this because i was the exact same way and uh you know we don't realize that obviously not everybody but i would say that a lot of us probably listening to this podcast are um definitely definitely the wealthiest people in the world and the luckiest people in the world and if you add all that together, it's like, yeah, we're probably the wealthiest and lucky, luckiest people in history. Yeah. And like a lot of that is just due to where we were born. Yeah. Like I was talking to my wife about what to get her parents for Christmas and they don't have a TV. So it's like, oh, maybe we should get them a TV or what else do they need more than that? And she's like, well, they really need a sink. Yeah. They don't have a sink. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, nope, they have a water hose. That's it. That's the entire plumbing of their house, a water hose. Just It just goes to speak how different our world is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. So I couldn't encourage that more, anybody listening. So how – how so you're, you're working in, you said, these two or three different countries. How, so how exactly does your organization work? Like how do you, mm-hmm. you know, pick who you're, you're helping? Like how, do, how does all yeah. that work? Yeah, so we work with, uh, you know, there's a lot of different types of interventions and demographics that organizations work with um, for families that need help. Uh, we choose to work with uh, really the most vulnerable families. And so those are families that are in extreme poverty, um, anywhere between like two to five dollars a day in income. Um, a lot of it is just circumstance of, of their country. Uh, the macro environments, generational extreme poverty. Sometimes it's due to a natural disaster, and uh, so that, those are the families that we work with. And because of that, um, it's definitely the greatest need. Um, but it also kind of it makes a lot of the uh, the, the programs harder um, because you do have to have more philanthropy than um, than you could if with for a more like for profit business, just because the the market that you're trying to work with is literally the 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 the, the poorest market there is um so uh we will we work with those families we partner with them uh we think that there's uh great potential and great hope if they just get a little bit of help um and so we're able to come in and identify locations uh with local nonprofit partners that have expertise in those areas that we don't and we identify who they are. They have government relationships. They have cultural contacts, know who the families are, et cetera. Partner with them, and we get a large piece of land and almost act as a like a developer. And we'll design and we'll build a couple hundred home community wow. um, that'll have thousands of people. And we'll bring in other partners, such as um, you know school, uh, sports facilities, sometimes a church, um, income opportunities. And you have this holistic place um, where we're able to build homes at a lower cost, obviously, because we get economies of scale when we do that. 
um, families actually will uh, pay back um, the cost of their home almost as like a no interest, no profit mortgage. Um, and that money doesn't come back to a new story, but it's actually kept in like a community fund. So it's, you know, over time, it's, it's repurposed to um, invest back into that community. It could be for maintenance, it could be for new houses, it could be for electricity, whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, we were able to come in and kind of catalyze it um, and again, get lower pricing because, you know, a family in a 300 home community, I mean, the cost of that house is going to be way less than if they just try to go out and build a house themselves, right? Yeah, what kind of houses are you are you building? Are these like very very small single family houses, or are you talking yeah. about more like condos? Yeah, they're single single family homes. Um, some are two stories, but most are one story single family homes between like mm, six hundred to nine hundred square feet. Okay. Um, we we build them to to last, um, and so it's it's less of a temporary thing and more of a you could raise your family and their kids in this home. Uh, and so the, the price range is anywhere from like six to 12 K. It just depends on, um, for the whole house for like their whole lives, pretty good bang for your buck when you think long-term. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, we've now done a little over 3000 of those and, uh, it's been incredible to see, um, it's been incredible to see these families, uh, they're actually very, for the most part, very hardworking families. And um, you know, when they have safety and shelter, then and then clean water as well comes in the homes. Um, there's usually a shower, toilet, sanitation is clean. Like once you have your your basic needs covered, then you can then you can start to actualize your potential, right? And a lot of your psychological potential and a lot of your intelligence um, will come through after you have those basic human needs. Right. So like, I just think for myself, like if, if I didn't have safe shelter and every night when it rains or it storms, or there could be intruders that come in my house with my kids, I'm not thinking about starting a company, right. I'm thinking about doing all that stuff. I'm thinking about how do I freaking survive? Mm -hmm. yep. And, um, and, and, and it's called survival mode. That's the families we work with. They're in survival mode and that's all they can think about. Um, and so when you are able to come along and, and kind of remove that, then you start to see like, you know, wow, there's so much potential. And last thing I'll say on this is, uh, you know, a phrase I use a lot, which I just have, have really seen around the world is that um, talent or creativity or intelligence is universal, right? It's spread out through every community around this country through, you know, that's not, that is universal, right? What's not universal is opportunity. And so when you can try to bring opportunity to these places where, you know, the kids there are no less more intelligent or creative or talent than the kids in our country. Right. Um, you know, it's like the same, right. You're born, you're born with the same, same kind of genetics and, and, uh, and distribution of that. And so when you can bring in opportunities, you're going to hopefully, you know, unlock a lot more potential in those areas. That's what we try to do. So, you know, Brett, first off, what you're doing is amazing. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it, it gives me hope and makes me excited to see people like you doing what you're doing. It's not easy to start anything mm -hmm. at charities are even more difficult. Um, 
I, I noticed here in my notes that you were you participated in Y Combinator, which is mm-hmm. obviously one of the top startup accelerators in yeah. the world. Um, what was that process like? Because you know, I, I think people usually associate things like like YC with you know the next unicorn startup or something like that. What was the process like getting into that and going through that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so yeah, we were one of the first nonprofits to go through uh, Y Combinator summer of 2014. I'm sorry, summer of 2015. And I mean, look, the process for us, it was, it was, it was extraordinary. It was 10 to 10. Um, it really got in the DNA of who we are. The reason why we applied is because that's, that's how I founded the organization, right? I, I founded the organization off the same principles that the Airbnb founders and the Stripe founders and the Dropbox founders that they were all doing. Um, and these are, these are not secrets, right? There's very, it's, Y Combinator is an amazing job of crystallizing of some philosophies and some practical ways to get an idea off the ground. And that's what we were doing. Um, and then we applied and, uh, you know, we got in a story I'll tell is, um, me and my two co-founders, Matthew and Alexandria, um, are amazing, but, uh, and they're way, they're more accomplished and, and smarter than I am before we got into Y Combinator. Uh, like our resumes were, at least mine especially, was like nothing. I mean, I had failed startup before this. I went to Florida State University, basically majoring in like fraternity and football, like in girls, like there's nothing. Um, And so the reason we got in is because we were incredibly scrappy and resourceful. We got got a a quick idea and product to market and got some traction on it relatively quickly. Um, and, and we just went fast. And then the other thing we did is that, um, in preparing for the Y Combinator application and for the interview process, um, you know, there were about, I think, um, I don't know, I think like nine ish, 9,000 startups that applied and they only took about a hundred. And, um, but I can guarantee you that out of those 9,000 startups, we were we spent more time on our application. We were more obsessive with every detail of getting it right, talking to everybody we possibly could. And then when we got to the last round of the interview process, this is a kind of become a mantra, a new story now. Um, what they do in my come in here is you get to the last step and out of those 9,000 startups, um, they will invite about 300 um, to Mountain View, Silicon Valley for an in-person 10 minute interview literally 10 minutes. So they'll fly in people from Brazil, from China, from New York, and it's a 10 minute, you know, infamous interview where they're hmm. just like peppering, I mean, it's craziness. And, um, and so we knew that we kind of lucked out and we had our opportunity, but we were gonna, there's, there's only you know a third of a chance that we were gonna get in. And we knew we were going up against like the top early stage founders in the world. And so, um, you know, we prepared well over a hundred hours, probably close to 200 hours for a 10 minute interview. And, um, that is why we got in. So when you, when you were pitching for this, what was the like product or service you were pitching at that time? It was, uh, 
the early days of what we do today. So it was um, a crowdfunding platform that would connect any donor to a family in Haiti that was homeless. You could go on our platform, you could see who they are, you could crowdfund a house for them. Um, 100% of that donation would go towards building the house. Um, you would see their picture, you would read their story. So you have a direct connection with them. And then when they moved in, we would make a move in video and we'd send it back. Um, so you get to see the end result. So, so the does, problem we solved was a lack of transparency, a lack of trust that obviously a, a very large pool of donors rightfully have. And we countered that with a better customer experience, basically. But your but your business is, is a nonprofit, right? Mm -hmm. But does Y Combinator usually do a lot of nonprofits or was Not this a like lot. a special we group the, that we they did? The first ones, we were one of the first ones they took and they okay. still take like one or two. Yeah, years. that's why I said that. That's why I said that earlier. Cause you know, YC is the, I yeah. mean, trying to find like that next unicorn publicly traded, yeah. highly funded company. Um, and not necessarily known for charitable stuff. So yeah. I really commend you for your ability to, to run through that gauntlet. However, I think we're missing a great opportunity to talk about something. We, we just build up a lot of hype around this 10 minute interview that people travel around the world to get. And I'm kind of curious what goes on during that 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you can Google stuff because they they have some of the questions out there, but it is um, it is the most intense interview that I think anybody will probably go through. Um, and they're, of course, on purpose, um, peppering you, pressuring you, uh, asking you every single possible detail. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to share the, some of the exact questions I remember we prepared for. They were they were pretty intense. Um, but, you know, it was like the ultimate test of how well do you know your organization? Do you have a vision? And then I'd say probably most importantly is how is the interaction between the co-founders? Um, and that, and we actually prepared a lot for that. And so we knew who was going to own what question, how we were going to respond. And, um, you know, we just, you know, I, I believe everybody has the, everybody, everybody has the will to win. Not everybody has the will to prepare. And when you can prepare, more than others, you're usually going to win. Well, I, I mean, I think that approach fits into so much of what we've talked about in over 300 episodes of Startup Hustle and that like, yeah, I mean, come proper, be prepared, look like you're in the business of doing whatever it is that you say that you do. And, you know, there's so many people that leave out you know, there. There's a phrase that says the devil is in the details. Totally. And and the thing is, is if you're going to, you know, you talk about 9000 companies applying for 100 spots. And 100 spots sounds like a lot. And it's, I mean, not not in a pool of 9,000. I mean, that's that's not highly likely. I mean, they probably excluded the first 6,000 people out of that for oh, some yeah. little detail or something like not, like I said, not coming proper. Um, right. when, you know, and for those that are trying to start a business, raising capital, talking to investors, trying to get into a business accelerator, anything, I mean, you know, don't be the guy that shows up to pitch your .com that wants a reply email at your Yahoo address. Mm. You know, I mean, that's just that some of those little things are, are notable. Um, and then, yeah. you know, and then sometimes, you know, like in your case, I mean, you've kind of acknowledged that you felt like you had a bit of an uphill climb um, as, as a charity or different stuff. Did, did you, did you take any other additional preparation uh, or, you know, knowing that, that you were not the typical 
model that something like Y Combinator chases? Uh, no, um, you know, the best, the best part about it was that they treated us no different than anybody else. Um, and so it was the exact same program. And at the end of the day, that's like, it's to, to me, at least, um, obviously like at the very end of the day, some of the, the, um, the profits are going to shareholders or blah, blah, blah. But like, like as a startup, um, what are you trying to do? You're trying to increase your revenue. You're trying to increase your users. You're trying to become profitable. You're trying to grow a brand. You're trying to, you know, do all these things. It's the exact same thing, whether you're Airbnb or your new story, right? You just have different customer um, target market and you, but everything else is the same. How you build product, how you think about technology. Why, why should it be any different? Um, it shouldn't, it should be, it should be done with a pursuit of excellence. And that that's what they really push you for there. So you've mentioned earlier that you're, you've either built or are in the process of building the world's largest 3D printed community. Mm -hmm. what, what, are the, what have been the obstacles that you've had to overcome with that? You know, five years ago, that was pretty new technology. I know it's made leaps and bounds forward, yeah. but, you know, get, get, paint, paint us a, a, a beautiful word picture of, of <laughs> what that looks like in the end, but start from the challenging part in the beginning. Yeah, well, the beautiful word picture, uh, I'd actually encourage people if they're interested is a uh, is now a video It's now a documentary on Apple TV. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you go to Apple TV, uh, there's a new series called home. And home is a nine episode series that just came out on April 17. And, uh, and one of our, our we have an episode in there, which is about a 40 minute documentary that profiles the journey of creating the first few houses in this 3D printed, um, first 3D printed houses in this community. So that will do way more justice than I can explain over a podcast um, of how it all works and how it all looks. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, uh, there's a mantra, we have a new story that it's, it's crazy until it's not. And this was the ultimate example of that. Um, you know, fortunately it, it turned out to work for us. Uh, but when we started it in the very early days with our partner Icon, who's a, a startup out of out of Austin, um, you know, this is not. There was no there, in the U.S. There was not a 3D printing machine that had successfully printed a real home ever. And uh, but we thought there was promise in it. We thought that it was uh, specifically. Um, had a specifically good use case for our kind of homes, which as I mentioned earlier, are single, simple, single family houses with concrete cement built to last. And, and that's, that's the kind of 3d printing that we do is um, it's a proprietary cement mix and uh, it'll, it'll come out of a, a nozzle and it, it'll layer um, from the home, from the bottom, uh, from the interior and exterior walls all the way to the top. And uh, we've gotten pretty quick at it these days, um, and and that's how it works. But it, but you know it went from a crazy idea to making a prototype to getting the first house actually printed from the prototype, which gave us promise, which then allowed me to go raise some new funds against that because we had a proven prototype, we had an MVP, and um, and the next round we raised, um, this is all philanthropic money. It was R and D to do this. Um, was to create a machine that we could put on an 18-wheeler, drive to southern Mexico, get it off of the machine, put it on a piece of land, 
and have it print a community and that's happening. <laughs> so that's in, these communities, yeah. in, in these communities, in these communities, that happened all in two years. Do people usually build houses in these communities with cinder blocks? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. So a lot of people who are listening probably don't realize that. And in other parts of the world, it's real common for houses to be yeah. built out of concrete and built oh, yeah. oh, out yeah. of cinder Especially blocks small. and stuff. Oh yeah. 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 Which is really foreign for Americans, but that's really mm-hmm. normal. Yeah. Well, you, you know, Matt mentioned earlier, having gone to the Philippines 11 times, I think I've been eight or nine. We have 183 wow. employees over there. And, wow. um, and, cool. and ha- you know, honestly, no, and nowhere near the level that you're at. Yeah. But we've, try- we've tried to take that global citizen approach because mm-hmm. as we've gone over there, I don't know, just the, like, it, like Matt said earlier, I mean, it's just, a, it's a little different reality. There's a big, there's a large divide between the haves and the have nots, but we yeah. definitely see a different side of a lot of different stuff and it's touching. And, you know, you know, the things that, that, you know, I think if, if you can feel like you're making an impact with what you're doing in life and making a difference, however it is, it's, it, yeah. it feels great. So you know, as far as like, is, is that what keeps you going on the days where things are tough or a challenge is just knowing that you're, you're doing things that ultimately benefit people, not only now, but on a longer term basis. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things, um, you know, obviously not everybody has to work on something that is, uh, as direct of a, life change as we are, as we work on, um, you know, I couldn't imagine working on something that, that, that doesn't have some impact or benefit. Uh, so yeah, that definitely keeps me, keeps me going knowing of like how I'm spending my short time on this earth is, uh, is helping other people. Um, I think that there's no greater return than that on your life. And so that helps. Um, and then, you know, I'm just very lucky to have an incredible team and, um, you know, feel as my job as a leader is to just, um, provide the best opportunities and the best resources for them. And that excites me like crazy. So, so, so for those of you listening, if you want to help Brett and new story with their resources, you can go to newstorycharity.org, go to the, uh, you can drop the sidebar down on the side of the, the browser and get involved the, mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in, in the neighborhood where you can make your own donation. You can choose to, which is what I want you to do is yeah. get, a, get a subscription going, people, and you can give That's monthly, right. you can give one time. Um, they're pretty straightforward with 100% of your monthly donation ensures families are safely housed. I think the thing that's amazing on top of that is, you know, like, let's just, let's be realistic. There some charities are, have become pretty well publicized for not, not utilizing the donations. I love the fact that you're, you're creating a level of efficiency in building that is effective now and like scalable and sustainable on a lot of different levels. Um, you know, you know, Matt mentioned earlier, you know, the, or talking about homes made out of concrete, a lot of people don't understand the why of that. Well, in some cultures and climates, you have hurricanes, typhoons, things like that. It's actually a much better way. Um, I I learned that firsthand. I helped one of our employees in the Philippines build his first house just through a loan. And, you know, he was explaining the process. I was like, what do you mean you're building it out of concrete? And then he's like, yeah, I don't want it to blow away. 
We learned this <laughs> and, a long uh, time ago from the Little Red Riding Hood. Right, right. Well, I didn't learn from that, but um, I mean, the, the moral I took out of that story was not that I need to build my home out of concrete. Now, that said, it made a lot of sense. And, you know, that's that's interesting. I think the 3D part of it is is really interesting because, as you mentioned, there's <clears throat> such a large portion of people worldwide um, that could benefit from something repeatable and scalable and affordable like that. And, you know, if you have the mechanism to build it, you know, concrete is available and can be made and mixed and acquired about anywhere. So, and, you know, that's yeah. not, that's not the most expensive part of building most homes. So I, I think that that's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, now, now it, during all of our episodes of startup hustle and I, I I'm going to, Brett might just win by default. We usually play mixtape the game. If you want to check out mixtape the, the or mixtape the app. So I'm going to read a scenario off of a mixtape card. We're all going to name a song that comes oh, to gosh. mind to go with that. And then we will vote for who the winner is. You may not vote for yourself. I guess we'll say all the, all the, all the proceeds will go to charity, right, Matt? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. <clears throat> so here's, here's today's mixtape card. And by the way, if you want to download mixtape, the app, it's available on iOS and Android. What song would play during a job interview to convince your new employer, Kevin Bacon, to hire you? I mean, am I allowed mm. to pick Footloose? Is that like too obvious? So what song would you play? It's your selection, not even playing in the background. We got to convince Kevin Bacon to hire you. I'm actually, you know what? I'm going to go with that. Uh, Everything is awesome song. From, <laughs> from... <laughs> oh, man. Are they, and the listeners are wondering if you are going to let DeCourcy win by default. <laughs> the best answer is always the first thing that pops into your head. Well, it's got to be. Don't say, don't say F you by CeeLo Green. <laughs> Come on. I knew you were going there. It's banned from play, banned from mixtape. Oh, uh, come on. I, mine is probably, this is less relevant to if Kevin Bacon was doing the interview, but um, one of my favorite songs. And if somebody played this, I would definitely hire them. Um, is Every Day I'm Hustling by Rick Ross. Um, oh. You're about to time out, Watson. I can tell by the look in his eyes, he is Googling away right now. <laughs> I'm lost on this one. All right. You're out, Watson. You timed out. out. You got now. I, I can't vote for Watson, so I got to vote for Brett. You might have ruined mixtape. So Who's your vote go to, Brett? Yeah, I guess you got to pick me. See, we yeah, have a draw. I'll pick you. That's we fair. have a draw. We have a draw. Boo. Does that mean I, I pick the winner then? Yeah, sure. All right, so what are my two options again? Just pick Brett. Okay, Brett wins. Congratulations, Brett. <laughs> You're the winner of this round of Mixtape the Game. Oh, my God. Watch, you have Google in front of you, and you couldn't come up with a song? No. All right. Okay. So, 
Well, once again with us today, we have Brett Hagler, who's the CEO of New Story. Go check him out, newstorycharity.org. We end our episodes of Startup Hustle by doing what we call the Founders Freestyle. We pass the mic around. We offer a little bit of advice, input, or sometimes resolution about this particular episode. Brett, you get to go first in this round. So, you know, what 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 would you offer those that uh, maybe I'll guide you a little bit. If if for those that want to start something philanthropic or a startup related to charity, what's some of the best advice you could give those people? Dream big, start small. So the reason why I like that is because, you know, there's, you can make up a lot of excuses of, and I was using news story as an example of like in the early days, ah, I don't know how to meet, I don't know how to make thousands of homes, you know, across different countries and 3d printing machines and all this stuff we're doing now, but it's like the only reason we had a chance to do the things we did now is because we, we tried to do one house. Right. So anybody can do one, can figure out how to do one house. Um, if you have any kind of entrepreneurial, uh, you know, passion or level of resourcefulness, um, the only thing stopping you is you to do that. And so if you want to get started, um, start small, don't be paralyzed by not having everything figured out. Nobody has it all figured out in the beginning. Um, but start with that first goal and then just work like hell to do it. Mr. Watson. Um, I just want to say, I think, I think it's awesome that you were able to go through Y Combinator as a, as a nonprofit and what you guys are doing. I think it's really cool. And I think it's neat how you incorporated 3d printing into this. And, um, I'm, I'm going to guess the company you partnered with to do this, uh, it was a huge deal to them probably for you to partner with them and use their technology and, and stuff. So, um, I just think it's really cool how you've, how you've connected, um, you know, a very charitable cause, a great cause with, with some new technology and, and using it to solve real problems. So I think it's really cool. So once again with us today, Brett Hagler, the CEO of New Story. Go to newstorycharity.org. If you want to find either Brett or New Story Charity on the gram, uh, it's at Brett Hagler, at New Story Charity. You can find the same on Facebook and Twitter. Go make a donation, make a difference, do something. Uh, if you want to check out Start Apostle on YouTube, Start Apostle Podcast, same as the gram. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Brett, thank you so much for coming in. It's it's refreshing on on just to, you know, talk to people that are doing stuff that makes such a deep and lasting impact. Um, I think that when we handed you the mic, you said, dream big, start small. I mean, I I think that that's epic advice. Um, You know, we mentioned very, very early, I I use the the phrase, if you're going to eat an elephant, you do it one bite at a time. I don't condone eating elephants, but it gives you, you have to do things piece by piece, step by step. Um, you know, just because you don't know how to do something doesn't mean that you won't. Uh, I hear a lot of people use the excuse that they don't have experience. Nobody had experience until they did. That's right. So sometimes you have to create that for you. And with all that, once again, thanks for coming out and uh, 
I'll see you all next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle. Cause, 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 no one can do